listening to the Climate Alarm Clock podcast. Still to come this week, we find out what greenwashing is from Tom Spencer. But now we're continuing our feature where we chat to different environmental organisations and find out about the work they do and how you can get involved. This week, we find out about the work of Antashka from Dr. Elaine McGough. And I started off by asking her who Antashka are and what exactly they do. Yeah, well, what a lot of people don't realize is Antashka is a charity. We're not a state organization. So that's the first thing to point out. We were founded in 1948 and we're one of Ireland's oldest environmental charities. And we're divided into two main branches. And that's you'll hear about our work in two very distinct areas. The education unit are the first the first branch. And it's them that deal with things like clean coasts and green schools. They're the ones that a lot of your um your listeners might know they came into their schools when they joined their school days and talked to them. Um, and then there's the advocacy unit, and I work for the advocacy unit. And we are, I guess, maybe sometimes seen as the more controversial side because we are the ones that would initiate court action and involve ourselves in planning. Um, the education unit does get government funding for its programs. It's like ring-fenced Um, But the advocacy unit depends almost entirely on donations and people becoming members um, to get our work done. So on Tashgar, what is called a statutory consultee or a prescribed body under the planning regs, which means that essentially if if there's a development that's happening that might be ecologically problematic, then they have to send, the councils have to send it to us and say, what do you think? Give us your opinion. Now it's, it's, great to be asked for our opinion. It doesn't mean they necessarily listen to us, but we do get to input um, at an early stage and we're the only environmental NGO with that status. So, so it's really it's okay. really beneficial to have it. Yeah, so I knew that you weren't a, a government body, but at the same time you are sort of, it's almost legislated for that you were involved in this, in this process, but with no funding source to do that, is that? <laughs> exactly, you hit the nail on the head. Like we we comment on hundreds of planning applications a year. And on my side, I'd, I'd be dealing with forestry licensing as well and aquaculture licensing. So we are just absolutely inundated. And um, we very much would act as as a watchdog. And often councils will will specifically ask us our opinion because they want our input. So we do. I feel like we play a really valuable part in the planning process. Although we don't get funding for it, we do take it really seriously. Like we we are a very professional outfit. We anything we say in our planning submissions is evidence based, science based, legally based. Um, so we can't just go off on tangents and say we don't like. Th- I, I think a lot of a lot of our detractors would say, you know, it's the world according to Antashka. They just take a notion and this is how they want the world to look. But that's actually not the case at all. What we do is um, point out to the government that they're ignoring the things that they've already signed up to. So a lot of my um, work would be looking at environment, the legal side of environmental assessments and like picking holes in it and saying, you know, you've said you've said that there's not going to be an issue, but look here, you said you don't have the data to make those conclusions. So it's a certain amount of legal nitpicking sounds like a, a trivial way to put it, but really just so, um, doing a very solid review on any of the environmental assessments that are sent to us and raising concerns. And and then there's like broader concerns, like you know, when we we get applications for say expanding meat factories or like the cheese plant where they want to make cheese, then we would maybe bring in broader issues like 
can our, you know, in terms of our environmental and climate obligations, do they fit within that? It's harder to argue that because obviously, you know, the, the legal tools aren't fully in place yet, but we would still raise those issues in addition to the very hard, hard legal issues. I suppose there's part of me that thinks it would be great if we didn't have a need for Antashka. I know, that's, yeah, that's it. Like, I mean, our ideal outcome is that there would be no need for us and for other organisations. Obviously, I don't want to do myself out of a job. But like in an ideal world, you wouldn't need us. When you mentioned there, for example, about uh, about just pointing out to the government stuff that they have already committed to, that Derry Bryan wind farm that's just been shut down, is is that essentially what happened there that there was stuff that wasn't done in the development of that process that they should have done exactly they didn't never did an environmental impact assessment but they went ahead and and put it up anyway and there was huge um public opposition and because it didn't go through the process there wasn't kind of rigorous oversight and i mean what resulted was a landslide and and destruction of houses and the local environment and like I don't know how many years we are later, I think it's 17 years and 15 million worth of fines down the drain. And now the ESB have said they're going to to dismantle it and take it down. But it's, you know, what's happening, those wind turbines, now what's going to happen to them? Is that just waste? And and can they undo the damage that they already did? It's just a disaster from, from beginning to end. And it's because there wasn't sufficient environmental oversight. To me, that's sort of a good way of 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 understanding what Antashka does. It's trying to prevent stuff like that from exactly. happening. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. And I mean, that's just one part of our work. It's a very big part of our work. But then there's also the advocacy side where we'll, you know, we I don't know, I go to hundreds of meetings every year. I'll meet ministers, I'll meet TDs, officials, the MPWS, the EPA, the OPW. And we're just constantly like, it, I mean, this is, we'd be, this is a, a work area that's in common with all environmental, almost all of the bigger environmental NGOs in Ireland. We just go into these meetings and we just repeat ourselves and repeat ourselves and repeat ourselves. And it's really difficult to gauge success in the advocacy area because it's very slow. It's incremental. It might take years, but nonetheless, we have to like it. That's our job that we just have to constantly put our head above the parapet and say, no, this is what needs to happen. This is what needs to happen. And media is obviously another big, big part of that, you know, going on on radio shows and, and saying the same thing and um, taking a certain amount of abuse, to be honest. The, the climate and biodiversity crisis are absolutely fundamental. They're fundamental areas of our work. Um, and there's there's different organizations. I work really closely with other organizations like the Irish Wildlife Trust and Birdwatch and the Sustainable Water Network. We have a really good collective of people that work well collaboratively. But what Antashka brings to the table is that we're we're quite a generalist. We work across a lot of areas and a lot of pressure. So um, we work, you know, obviously the planning space would, you know, we'd be working on wind farms and flooding and water quality and biodiversity. Um, like we cover a whole range and um, we, yeah, we we bring in a lot of experts. We have amazing in-house expertise. We have on task, we have a climate committee and we have some of the leading climate experts on that committee. So I can draw on them when I, when I need help looking at the, the really complex climate models. I can call those up and say, can you please explain it to me? Because I'm not a climate scientist and climate science is incredibly complex so they can kind of break it down for me and and we're it's it's a massive 
resource that Antashka have that other NGOs wouldn't necessarily have. Um, so the legal angle is one of our strongest assets in Antashka. Not many other environmental NGOs take such a legalistic approach and it can seem really dry. Um, you know, it's it's hard to sell to the public because it's not as exciting as protecting seagrass beds or reintroducing wolves. You know, we talk about the law and planning and people just doze off because it doesn't sound like it's that important. But if you look around the world, like um, climate litigation and the climate space in particular, climate litigation is changing the face of, of the, the battle, you know, the Urganda case where um, they, you know, the Dutch, uh, the Dutch Urganda case where, where they won and that's going to massively change the outlook there. There's other climate cases across the world happening now, and it's really forcing government's hands to actually take action. So while planning might seem boring, it really is. And it's one of our most powerful tools. And it's worth your listeners knowing as well that uh, there's in the in the background, there's a growing push from the government to shut down those um, those avenues to get access to justice. They're trying to to shut down who can take a judicial review, um, and and make it more expensive. Because Antashka are really lucky; we have some really incredible lawyers who work with us on what's called a no foe no fee basis. That means that if we lose the case, they don't get paid, but if we win the case, they do get paid. But the, what the government are trying to suggest is that they put a cap on how much those lawyers could get. And from memory, if my memory serves me right, it's somewhere, I think it's in the reach of maybe 20 or 30,000 euro, which sounds like a lot. But legal fees in Ireland are incredibly expensive. And like the Supreme Court um, ruling that we just, you know, all of that process like that. I don't know the exact figure, but I would estimate that might have been in the region of like 150, 200,000 euros worth of, of legal fees. So lawyers need to pay their bills. They need to pay their rent. So if their if their potential payment is going to be capped at such a low number, they're going to be far less willing to engage with environmental organisations like Antashka to take these legal challenges. So I mean, when your listeners will they'll see it. It keeps popping up in the news about serial objectors and planning reform. But actually, what that means is shutting out the public voice. It's really problematic because. As I said, it's very hard for us to be heard. Um, and although the courts are a last resort, they are where we can have, they are where we have teeth. And it's it's one of the places where we can we can get action because the, the um, playing field is much more balanced because we are out lobbied on all sides, like the industry, the agri-industry, the oil industry, all of the various, the fishing industry, they're all incredibly powerful and they're very good at lobbying and we just cannot compete with that. And the courts are one of the great levelers. You know, it, it is such, it's such important work uh, that, that you do. So if our listeners want to get involved or support support your work, what, what can they do? Yeah, um, by becoming a member of Antashka, it's hugely helpful. We have student membership and on-wage membership that costs a tenner for the year or regular membership costs 60 euro. And one-off or regular donations are also really helpful. Um, and having members serves a dual purpose. Um, I have an absolutely vested interest because membership fees pay my wages. So I would like to keep doing the work that I do. 
But beyond that, it also gives us a mandate for the work that we do. So to give you an example, when we were in the midst of, of taking the appeal against the, the um, cheese factory down in Kilkenny, um, the Taoiseach spoke out and said that we shouldn't take the appeal. And we had we had politicians saying we should be defunded. We were called tre- uh, treasonous. It was it was a really it's we've never seen the like before the pushback the high level political pushback was incredible and i did a drive time interview on rte and it was just amazing within minutes of finishing the interview the you could, the membership just started to go up and up and up donations started flooding in and it was really a very big sign to our detractors that we speak for the people that we we aren't just this fringe element we aren't just this Dublin body. And lots of people took to Twitter and to other social media saying, Antashka, speak for us. I, I support Antashka. Um, and it was, even on a personal level, it was massively heartening because it's really, it can be really exhausting and intimidating to face that kind of pushback constantly, to constantly be the unpopular person in the room. So it gives me and my work, it, it really lifts me up when I know that there is a huge amount of people behind me saying, yes, you speak for me we believe in the work you're doing. So the membership is both paying my wage and really helping me do my job. Um, and yeah, they're, they're the biggest things. And also, you know, on so any of your members that are on social, any of your listeners that are on social media, it's just, it's great to have people being vocal about our work on, on Twitter. And again, support, just vocally supporting us. That was Dr. Elaine McGough of Antashka, and I really like that concept of when you buy a membership, you're helping an organisation to do their work, and then they are also advocating on your behalf. And it's a great reason to get involved in any of the organisations that you have heard about on this season of the Climate Alarm Clock. Coming up next on this week's Climate Alarm Clock, we talk to Tom Spencer about greenwashing. 